Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, ProofHQ. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Content Pros Podcast. We're really, really excited to be joined by Scott Stratton today. Scott is the president over at Unmarketing, and he's written about 75 books, but I think the most recent one is Unselling, which is the CEO reads sales book of the year, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for that. He's also written Unmarketing, he's, he's joined by his co-host Allison on the Unpodcast, he's written QR Codes Kill Kittens, um, and several other amazing books. So, Scott Stratton, welcome to Content Pros. I am just jumping that I'm on the show, so I'm looking forward to this, and uh, let's rock and roll. Are you jumping while we're recording? I'm actually not jumping at all. I have a cold, so um, there'll be no jumping at all. I actually misspoke, and I broke the first rule of content. Don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> I, ju- I just did. <laughs> okay, well, actually, that's a good place to start. So you are pretty much a content powerhouse because you've got books. You had the blog for a long time. You do loads and loads of speaking. Every time I talk to you, you're in a different city, uh, ready mm-hmm. to take a different stage. You've got the podcast. So you've got a veritable empire of content, content going on. And what, what rules do you live by when it comes to creating these kinds of content powerhouses? Well, uh, my biggest thing, and we've, we broke that a bit, obviously, with the Unpodcast, doing a weekly show, is I've never, since the dawn of, of blogs, um, um, since any kind of content went out there, I've never been one for a, a forced schedule. Um, I've always, and, I, and I've come under some flack for that, where I, I say, you don't, nobody shares a, a post, nobody shares a podcast, nobody shares a video, uh, or any kind of content because it's Tuesday. You know, we share content because it's great. So what I mean by that is not everything has to be perfect. We just had to share great content. So the reason why we're sharing it, so our audience is about to see it, so it's listeners, readers, followers, whatever that is, is when they get it, it's appreciated. We respect their inbox, their time, their their iPhone, what, you know, whatever, however they're consuming the content. The biggest rule is don't send it out for the sake of frequency. Be as frequent as you can be awesome content. And so for us, like for me, I'm notoriously, I blogged once every quarter. You know, it was only when I blogged, it had to be something that was epic because I, I got my lazy ass to blog something. But with the show, we found out that the, the, the medium of it is uh, conducive to our skill set and that we could talk about topics that had some kind of meaning to it every week, but I couldn't write about topics every week. And that was my skill set. I didn't want to get better necessarily at that. I wanted to find our strengths. So that's where the podcast really hit um, was, you know, doing it as frequently as there's good content. Because on the flip side, we actually have one called the Vegas 30, which is a Vegas podcast for people who are over 30. Uh, it's a very different place when you're over 30 than when you are you know, 21. And it was, we did 12 or 13 episodes and we stopped. And then we recorded another one about three months later. And it wasn't meant to be a weekly show. It was meant to be a show that created a base of content. And whenever we had a new update, that was uh, deemed worthy enough of a full show, we'd record another one. So people kept saying, when's the next episode? I said, the next episode would be out when we have something new to say. 
So that was the difference, that every podcast doesn't have to be weekly, every blog post doesn't have to be bi-weekly. Put it out there when you got something to say. I love that, Scott, and that's something that I think I'm, well, one, I'm guilty of. I, I can't actually deliver on a lot of the times I say I will. Like, I have a weekly newsletter that is probably, like, 42 weeks behind, so right. I, I think it's really good to send something or produce something when you're actually really passionate about it, and another thing that I love to talk about with folks is what led them to where they are today. And you have one of my favorite stories of what led you to social and how you got started. And I think the roots of that are in Twitter. So could you share that? Yeah. Well, and, and just to make a mention of what you just said, you know, it's, it's nothing personal to you, Chris, but nobody's sitting there saying, where's Chris's newsletter this week? You know, nobody's sitting there saying, where's Scott's newsletter this week? We, we just, we don't have to force that frequency and we have to put it out when it's good. So, for me, I, I joined Twitter in 08, and uh, I thought it was kind of stupid, uh, just because I didn't, I wasn't giving to the platform. So I realized uh, in January 2009, I said, okay, you know, it really the social media side of things, which the term was just coming out of of, of the open then. I've been doing social style things for a very long time, your forums and positioning and connecting and community. So I said, well, I have to live on Twitter here. I have to give it my best college try. And if it doesn't work, at least I know it doesn't work. I didn't want to be one of those consultants to be, I don't like that platform because I don't use that platform. So I said 30 days. I'll live on Twitter for 30 days. And when I say live on it, I mean I lived on it. I tweeted 7,000 times in, in January 2009. And I went from 1,200 followers to 10,000. And I, you know, I haven't stopped tweeting since. But the key there was that it was connecting. It was talking back and forth with people the two of you being examples of who I got to connect with. And to the point now, I've tweeted, I think, 105,000 times. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand that it's a social currency. It's how much you give to the network, how much you connect with people. And that means Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, you know, whatever that's going to be, you, you have to be present on the platform to make any kind of notice to get known at all instead of automating and scaling. That's why I always focused on platforming. It was picking one at a time and spending not – one week, but six months, trying to build it and see it and see how it works and, and whether or not it's worth a go. Yeah, one of the best things about your presence online and social is that you aren't just a, a give it a taste test and decide that it sucks. And, and I think that's one of the things we tend to hear a lot, like, oh, Pinterest doesn't work because I don't like Pinterest, or um, YouTube doesn't work because I, I, I hate being on video, so that doesn't work for me. What's the advice that you would give to people who are trying to build a content platform from scratch and trying to decide where they should spend their time and energy? What filters should they use to decide what platforms are best for them? Well, you got to be careful first off, which is, you know, building your content on somebody else's platform. That's always been a danger that when you build up a Facebook page and brands have seen this over the past year where they built this following and then, you know, Facebook comes around and says, you know, um, you know, organic reach is going to be reduced and uh, people are like, well, we built the platform. Like when you build, you know, when you put your eggs and all your eggs in somebody else's basket, you don't own the basket. And that's, that's trouble where you, I think your content hub should be yours. And once you go from there, then you look at different platforms that you think will work within your industry or with your colleagues or anything. I got on Twitter not to create a, a content platform. I got on there to find, you know, my, my like minds like people who, who are other entrepreneurs. My, my friends at the time all worked for somebody. So, I, you know, they got a paycheck every other week, and I, I didn't, and I, I needed to be able to relate to somebody, and, and that's where I found it. So it was what was in my, my wheelhouse, what was most comfortable, because for Twitter worked for me because of 
you know, I, I can be pithy and, and I, I like to do, I, I speak in tweets and it was very quotable, so it worked. But I, the thing is you don't want to do is, is kind of go on somewhere because you have to. You know, the mandatory engagement is never a good thing that works. But we also need to be careful. We need to be careful when somebody comes to us and says, you have to use this platform. When people say you have to use something, a lot of times they're the ones selling it. They're selling consulting services for that platform. They're selling a, a class on that platform. You got to be careful. You realize that you don't need anything. There is no must platform. I actually looked for an email sent from a friend of mine a few years ago who was chastising me for not being on Google Plus right away. That I should have been on Google Plus. I had to be on Google Plus. And if I was anything worth my salt as a social media expert, I need to be there. And it's, I sent him the link yesterday of Google Plus saying we're shutting it down and, and asking what he thought about it. And, and that was the thing. I never, I've always been um, against you know, just jumping to somewhere because it's a Jack Russell Terrier move and just jumping because it's a bright, shiny object. That's why I didn't jump on LO. That's why Google Plus, I tried it. I went on there and I, I, served, I looked around and it just wasn't different enough for me to be able to be worthwhile as a standalone social site. And uh, that's why I rallied against it. So you don't have to do video. You don't have to do Facebook. You don't have to do anything. You find out what your strengths are and you, you, you raise them. And that means if you have an hour a week, find the best way to spend that versus 10 hours a week when somebody else has it. I love that, Scott. And that's been a theme that has come up several times. And it came up a while with Jay Bear because there is this shiny object syndrome that's happening in marketing because new tools come out every day, new networks come out every day. And while some are embracing the hub and spoke model that you hinted at, right? So maybe it's your blog that's your content hub. Maybe it's your website. Wherever it is that works for you, the place that you own. And then you have all the distribution channels. What would you say to the folks that feel like they have to check all of those boxes? Because they may see, okay, my audience is mostly here, but I need to experiment here. And I know that it's something we've had to try to solve personally, and it's different for us, but we have a lot of aggregated brands and acquired brands at Oracle Marketing Cloud that are consolidated now and the products work together but they're very different user bases so we have to try to figure that out but to the practitioners and the folks who feel like they have to be everywhere and reach everyone what what would you say to them to relay to their boss to have confidence in saying we're gonna pick one thing and do it well and then we'll look at the second thing well, it's just I, I, a lot of times because it's what I do. We, we you know, we, we show train wrecks of, of the danger of it, of of having a presence without being present, about sending out an update and, and blasting it across six platforms. And the for me, when you talk about something like let's say word of mouth, let's say you have content right now, and obviously like anybody else, you want it shared. That's the point of creating content is having it out there, positioning your 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 company as experts in something, and then wanting people to use that word of mouth type of thing and sharing it. Well, you just can't always stay on top of where it gets shared. And the whole, sometimes it's none of our business where it gets shared. We just want it shared. You allow people to share it. If you're not on LO, if you're not on MySpace, which has 56 million people a month going to it, which is amazing. If I opened with saying that MySpace is the strategy, I think we would have disconnected. But it's none of my business what sites people want to use. Um, you know, I mocked the, the heck out of Google+, Plus, but there are people who still use it and it works for them. Awesome. That's up to them. And it's none of my business sometimes that if they want to contact me, as long as I keep the channels open where I am present, they can find that. Sometimes that, that back channel chatter that happens about our post or our brand is none of our business. 
They don't want us in that conversation. People want to share and talk amongst their trusted colleagues or friends or connections. We don't have to jump into every conversation. We don't have to listen necessarily to every conversation. We want to be sure that if they do want to initiate a conversation directly back at us, that we're available in the channels that we've opened those doors for. I like your contrarian point of view there because it's there's there's a big um, movement all the time about be where everybody is and listen to every con conversation and join every conversation and I think there's a there's a lesson to be learned there at that not that not every conversation necessarily needs you as part of it. It's creepy. Um, it can be <laughs> creepy, right? Like if, if I'm I'm at a cocktail party and I'm talking about my new pair of Nike kicks and a Nike guy jumps in and goes, yeah, yo, yeah, how you like those? I'm like, no, 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 no. There's, there's some brand conversations that brands don't belong in. You can listen. Like we've made we've made creeping not creepy. You can listen sometimes, but I just don't think it's appropriate jumping. I don't want to talk to 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 a pair of shoes right now. I want to talk to somebody else about them. And sometimes it's none of your business what it is. Well, you've got you sort of made yourself a little um, niche around calling out some of the really dumb things that brands and individuals do in social media. And I think it's really hysterical because every time I watch um, you on Twitter and people are saying, here, Scott, here's another link for somebody who's screwed <laughs> up. Um, I guess my question is twofold. With one, how did you end up in that position? And two, um, why shine the spotlight on the screw-ups instead of the people who are doing it right? It was, you know, formed, unmarketing came out of anger that uh, tw 13 years ago of that the only way to sell or to market was to interrupt people. It was cold calling. It was blasting ads in between content. It was something that was saying, you know, just if we annoy you enough, eventually you'll buy from us just to shut us up. And I just didn't buy that. And so that's kind of where that started. So out of anger already, and I'm already a naturally kind of sarcastic person as it is. So it worked really well. And I just kept seeing all these best practices out there. Like you go to the go to the bookstore, go to the bookstore and look at the business shelf. It's all about you know how to win and how to do this well. And there's just nothing out there that was saying. You know, here's what's wrong. I really do believe that because my best learning experiences in business have been from my mistakes. So I think we can learn from the wrong. I think that we can learn from the bad stuff. And if I'm the only one doing it, if unmarketing is the brand that people think of when they're screw-ups, then I have also have an endless content funnel. We're never short on content. Every day we get something in one of the platforms, at least, that says, have you seen this? That's how it opens. Every person will always open it. Have you seen this? And it's just like, that's awesome. And people, when somebody sees a QR code, they think, they don't even know me, but they think, unmarketing's got to see this. That's, that's a, that's a well-done brand for me and a well-done brand for us. I, I, I love it. And I think we, if we pretend mistakes don't exist, we're doing everybody a, a disservice. And so when I, when, when we put out something in a book, I also talk about my mistakes. One of the biggest features in unselling was about, or, you know, our own screw-ups. So I think we're fair game. Uh, and I just think that we can learn from that too. I don't want to pretend mistakes don't exist because if we don't learn from them, they truly are mistakes. Well, I love that. And that was a perfect segue into the question I wanted to ask because, I mean, you said you joined Twitter in 2008 and we're only, you know, six and a half years past when you joined Twitter. And right. a lot has changed for you in that short amount of time. A lot has changed for all of us in that short amount of time. Right. I mean, I practically stalked you at South by Southwest but right. to, to first meet you. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'm curious, if you could do one thing over 
in that time? What would that be? And then secondly, what is driving you crazy right now? I mean, I know you, you went viral on Reddit with your your sign that QR codes <laughs> kill kittens and some of the variations there. But so, so two questions. One, what do you wish you could do over? And two, if you're going to scream about something or make a billboard about something right now, what is it? Well, one of the great things people need to know is that, like, for that first book tour, which really launched my speaking career in this world, uh, you know, 30 cities in 10 weeks, both of you were two of the people that did a speaking, did a, a book signing thing for me, that did a book tour stop, you know, Amber for Chicago, and, and Chris, we did it for, uh, we did it for the, the Triangle, right, in, in North Carolina, and um, and that's because we got to know each other, and that was the coolest, to me, that was, I, I was living proof that how community could work, what I what would I do differently? What would I regret? I don't I won't want to give the cop out answer and say nothing because we all learn from stuff. But what I I do wish is I um, continued building uh, my email list. Um, I really focused on you know Twitter. When I was on Twitter, I get followers. When it's Facebook, I get likes. And LinkedIn, I get connections. And you know podcasts, we get subscriptions on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else it is. But I I. I kind of I took my eye off the prize, which was the gold was still in the list. Is gold still in the email list? And I'd rather have um, a thousand email addresses than ten thousand followers on Twitter. I just think it's email versus social. Uh, is email is a reactive response. So when when I send out an email to my list, people have to decide: Do I read it? Do I click on it? Do I delete it? Do I unsubscribe? Do I report it for spam? But there's an action from the receiver. Same thing with a, a direct mail piece or anything like that. But with social, with Twitter or Facebook, it's not reactive unless they see it. So with the if I send out a tweet to a thousand people, maybe 50 might see it on their stream. Facebook, same thing. What's the average exposure through EdgeRank algorithm on Facebook for reach-wise on Facebook? Is it 5%? Is it 6%? Even myself, I get 20%, 30%, 40% on average. But still, not everybody sees it in email. Everybody has to make an action. If I get it through the spam filters, everybody has to make some kind of action on their end. And that's what's valuable, is not the fractional reaction of social media. I love social. I, I, you know, I, I, I freaking love social. That's no secret. But it's, it's not a good sales and marketing tool. It never has been, and I've never claimed it to be from book one. It's a great community tool, a great conversation tool, a great customer and client service tool. It's got terrible click-through rates and terrible reach rates. It, it rivals spam in email, and that's saying something. That's a great segue, actually. I want to take a moment before I ask you another question to thank one of the sponsors that actually makes Content Pros possible, which is Proof HQ. One of the trickiest parts of content creation when you're in a group or a corporate setting, of course, is the approvals and edits. Different people are weighing in with their make the logo bigger feedback or is this the best photo we have? So you can kill all that drama if you use Proof HQ, which is a slick web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions, work together seamlessly on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, whatever you can think of. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. Check them out over at bit.ly slash Proof HQ. So Scott, you've been in this game now for, I don't know, a long time, a decade, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And, um, What's the what's the thing that you that really hits you about how social and the web are different now than they were when you started, say, seven eight years ago? Uh, one of the I think the biggest thing is that it's become our home base. That it's like almost everything runs through it now. Before 
social was like a website. Like you'll go to Twitter, you'll go to Facebook.com and you'll check it. But for me, especially now, my entire day of content, but because I consume content endlessly, is my hub is Facebook. Like I go on to Facebook, I, I check it on the app on my phone, so I, I totally avoid going on the actual, on the web. And I go log into Facebook and my community curates my content. So if Chris shares an article about something he liked in marketing and, and the Facebook gods deem it worthy of me seeing it, that's how I see it. So there's a, you know, there's a, a, a billion, a trillion pieces of content online. How do I find that? And it's through my community. So my hub has become an app, a social site. Like that's the biggest change. That even this, this shift from 2008 till now, the, the, the amount of smartphone usage, the ability to that, you know, that we spend five hours a day on our phones. And what the interesting thing to me is not the fact that we spend that long per day on our phone, but that 89% of that time is within apps. It's not surfing. You know, the fact that I'm in an app, and it's usually going to be, depending on the demographic, it's going to be Facebook or Twitter, or it's going to be Snapchat, or it's going to be WhatsApp, or whatever that app's going to be. A lot of it's spent connecting with our communities, or Instagram, or anything else. And I find that most of my time spent online now is within apps. I do I do the rotation. I do the social media geek rotation. I, I, I click uh, Facebook, I click Twitter, Instagram, and then LinkedIn, and I just do a rotation between those things versus I used to do that through a browser. So we've really kind of focused right down to the point where I barely need to use my PC at all. And that's, a, that's a huge shift, both for social and for uh, you know, marketing in general. Well, Scott, you, you mentioned you consume a lot of content, which uh, you know obviously we knew, but as someone who consumes a lot of content, what stands out to you now? I mean, what type of content gets your attention and pulls you all the way through, and what can content practitioners learn from that? You know, it's uh, it's got nothing to do with word count. It's got nothing to do with a lot. It has to do with the, the information inside, and that's we, we get that lost sometimes. We get so focused on bells and whistles and, you know, how do we do it this way? It's a friend of ours, Eric Alper, who's a, a PR guy for E1 Music up in Toronto, said this to me years ago, and I wish I had said it. And uh, he mentioned something about cassette tapes. And, you know, he's in the music business. And, and I, I, I laugh. I'm like, cassette tapes? You know, what, what's, what's up with that? And he goes, one of our number one artists, his most consumed uh, method of, of, of delivery of music is cassettes. His audience loves cassettes. And he looks at me and he goes, it's none of my business how people consume our content. I just want them to consume it. And that's exactly, that's stuck with me for, for six years now. It's exactly the point. That's why for us that although I like to watch video, um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts necessarily, but I like to watch them a lot of times, is why when we did the Unpodcast, we decided to go all out from episode one. We rent a studio, we get a three camera shoot, we do audio, we get a you know, write-up of it as well, because it doesn't matter how I consume the content. We want to make sure that uh, that our audience consumes it in whatever way they want possible. And then we sometimes get that content bias, that we only produce it in the way we like it. And that's the same thing about we, we talked about earlier about only using or suggesting Twitter or Facebook because we like the platform. The same goes for content is that I think that we can repurpose it very easily depending on our audience. Uh, not to mention, we, we I, I didn't even think about it before, how people who are uh, either visually impaired or hearing impaired, where they can't, they actually literally can't consume a content in one way or another. And we, we, we really kind of toss away 
that side of the audience because we don't we don't have that bias built into our minds. So I think that content I love I am I'm real I love magazine style content. I still like to read them when I'm in an airport, which I am a lot. Um, I like that style because magazines for me are are shorter necessarily, but also really well written. You know, I think that journalism is a dying art form because we're not paying them the same, and I I, I miss that quality content and delivered in a way that I like to consume it and which is why I still subscribe to them and I script digitally because I want to support them and I, I just think that because you're just because we can write doesn't mean we're a journalist or, or uh, potentially a great writer. I, I, I really respect people who do that. Now, what are some of your favorite, um, whether it be podcasts or blogs or magazines, what really keeps and, and holds your attention these days because it's just really top-notch content? I'm enjoying the Content Pros podcast. That's pretty good. <laughs> Okay, the check's in the mail for that one. Besides yeah, the amazing that. Content Pros podcast. Well, and, and this is this is I, I've said this on other other shows. It's not because I'm on this one. I've I've always loved Jay's stuff. I've always loved ConvincingConvert.com, and he understands being a content hub. It's it's a great uh, you know way to go. I, I subscribe to very few newsletters. I did a real kind of culling of it two years ago, but I love you know I I, I do the, I do the rounds of marketers. Right? I do Ad Week, and I do um, um, I love Internet Retailer and. Uh, but really, a lot of the stuff, um, I don't go to, and, and Alice and I were talking about this yesterday, I don't go to a lot of front pages, if that makes sense. I don't type in a URL and go, what do you got today? I'll do that for uh, ESPN. I'll do that for uh, Grantland, you know, two mostly sports-looking uh, sites. But I don't go to the front page anymore. I used to go to Mashable, but they've just started ticking me off so much with pop-ups and everything in the past while I stopped going. So really, most of my, the majority of content I consume, um, and I love Inc., uh, wired and fast company, but a lot of content I will consume will be because my community says it's good, not necessarily because it's uh, site-based. I love that, Scott. And on a related note, I mean, knowing that people don't hit the home page as much like you do, one of our sponsors really helps to make that happen, and they have a special offer for all of our readers too. But it's Inbound Writer, and we know that most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website. Wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer does just that. They have a content analysis tool that forecasts how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and even search engine behaviors. It tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, and helps to remove the guesswork from content creation, which increases traffic and decreases wasted time. Right now, they're offering a free month trial of the tool. You can visit inboundwriter.com slash offer. Again, that's inboundwriter.com slash offer. We're going to link that up in the show notes, but really, really happy that they were able to push that along to our readers. It's a great tool. So, Scott, we're running out of time here, but I'm really curious what makes you tick these days? Like, what's the thing that you're worried about and trying to grow in your career? Because you've had a, a tremendous growth of your career. You have some great books, you have more books on the way, you have a great podcast, but what's the thing that you're trying to do now that you haven't done previously? Um, our real hook, like, we've been doing about just over a year now with the show, and uh, uh, I never thought I would say that um, I love something more than being on stage. You know, that's that's how we've made a living for years now. I love keynoting conferences, but man, being able to sit across the table from Allison and us, we just, you know, we just throw out topics like we usually would do anyways, but we have a microphone and a camera in front of us. 
I really love it. I, 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 and that our goal now is not to have it just you know be a, a podcast. We want it to be the you know the unbroadcast. We want to be on TV. We want to be the first business show on Netflix, and um, um, that's a huge focus. You know, we just landed a year's sponsor. That's huge, and allows us to give us even more capital to work with, and, and really put it out there. And uh, that's next. You know, the next is the airwaves uh, on TV, and uh, whether that's CNBC, MSNBC, or or Netflix, we'll see. But um, my my ever growing beard, um, um, hopefully, will be on TV screens all over the place. I think I probably had a contact on in like uh, PBS in upstate Wisconsin or something for the beard thing. <laughs> you got it. Um, so one fun question that we like to ask all of our guests, just for uh, just for grins, is what did you actually want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? A game show host. <laughs> I did, truly. I wanted to be a bunch of things. I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a lot of things, but game show host was when I saw Monty Hall on Let's Make a Deal. I'm like, that's what I want to do. I just, you know, I, I, I'm a ham and I like to do those things and I always loved it. So, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, you know, we're one step away from having a goat behind a curtain at the Unpodcast. You know, it's like door number one. So, you know, I think I, I, it's going to take me some time to convince Allison, I think. But once we get there, um, that's going to be, you know, that it's just the swan song. We have the goat behind the curtain, you know, door number one. So I will be watching eagerly, eagerly for that episode. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. We'll be on the lookout for your marketing beard themed game show on Netflix any day now. So we're going to be watching for that. We really want to thank you for your time on behalf of Amber Naslin, my co-host, and Chris Moody. Thanks for joining Content Pros. You can download our podcast, listen to them, read about them at contentprospodcast.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. You can reach out to us anywhere. Let us know what you think. If you feel the urge, please write a review on iTunes. We'd love to have your feedback. Thanks again, and we'll join you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysimos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.